Right now, if we're going to read the Word of God from Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay down your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of, of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inner word parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. For those of you who may not know, my name is Brandon Dean. I am pastoral resident here at New City Church, and uh, I'm honored this morning to be able to preach uh, God's Word from Psalm 139. So David wrote uh, this little bit of poetry, and uh, he wrote it about being truly known by God. So in, in the world of addiction recovery, uh, we, we have a saying, it's, it is that we're only as sick as our secrets. And uh, what, what this means is that when, when we're trying to keep something, uh, a part of ourselves unknown, it can often make us kind of emotionally and spiritually unwell. And most often we're, we're trying to keep things in the dark, I think, because uh, we're afraid of the pain and the circumstances should that truth come out into the light. Uh, but instead of protecting us, uh, what it actually does is it, it slowly poisons us from the inside. So let me tell you one of my secrets. Uh, when, I, when I was very young, my parents uh, became Christians. And I think as they were trying to 
kind of sort out what their new faith meant to them. Uh, maybe they had a little bit of difficulty communicating that uh, to their small children. Uh, but what I remember being told is that Jesus died for my sins. And that part's great. But I was also told that every night before I go to bed, I had to pray and list all of the bad things that I had done and ask Jesus uh, to forgive me for those things. And so uh, the problem for me was that I was kind of a bad kid. I, I was always getting in trouble. I was always annoying somebody or picking on my little brothers or uh, doing things I knew I shouldn't do. And by the time I got to bed, I would pray and I couldn't even remember what it was I had done bad that day. And I began to, to be afraid that maybe there was like this backlog of unforgiven sin that God was holding against me. I, I believed that this meant maybe I wasn't going to go to heaven. And I didn't want anyone to know that I wasn't good enough to get into heaven, so I never asked my parents about this or had a conversation with them about it. A couple years later, I was attending a Christian school. I was in third grade, and they decided to show us a film, and it was about the end times. And this film uh, was awful, and it depicted uh, you know, what their interpretation of Scripture says is going to happen to the people who are left behind. And I really felt like, well, I have all this unresolved, unforgiven sin. I, don't, I think I'll be left behind. And I began to be afraid about that. I wasn't at all confident that I was forgiven. And from time to time, I would come home and there'd be nobody there. And so I'd wander through the house and I'd be like, where's my family? And, and then I would... Uh, it is funny, but, but I would cry. I, I thought, I missed the rapture. Everyone else was good enough, but not me. And, and then when my family would finally come home, um, I was so relieved. But I never told them. I never told them about it. Uh, because it, it was shameful. I wasn't a good Christian. If I was a good Christian, I wouldn't be afraid of that. Now, just to be clear, I, I think my parents love me, and, and I think my parents uh, wanted to teach me the gospel. I'm sure this Christian school uh, was the same. You know, I, I, uh, my point is that I had this secret. The point is I, I didn't want anyone to know me. I didn't want anyone to know how bad I really was because I, I thought that that would confirm my worst fear that... Uh, I was not really a believer. If I had shared uh, these concerns with my parents, I think they probably would have said something to me like, hey, I, I have doubts sometimes too, or hey, look at these scriptures and, and let's talk about them. Uh, but I never did. Uh, I would just left myself all alone. And so why? why? Why didn't I tell them? Why didn't I reach out to somebody? Well, I think the answer is very simple. I didn't want to be known. I didn't want them to know how bad I really was. I wanted them to think I was mostly good. What it really came down to is 
is I felt that if they knew the real me, that they could never accept me. And that fed my greatest fear. That meant I wasn't a real Christian. How about you? Do you have a secret? Do you, is there something about you that, that you wish that nobody would ever find out about? Do you, do you ever feel that if people knew the real you, if they knew who you really are, that they could never accept you? So I've come a long way since my childhood. I think I have a better understanding of God's grace and forgiveness. But I will say this, that old, old habits kind of die hard. And, and, and so I'll tell you this, we have a missional community that meets at our house on Thursday nights. And, and we love having people come over to our house. We love having a meal together. We love talking about Jesus and having a good time together. But Thursday day, we spend the whole day scrambling to get that house clean, right? So we're, we're dusting things that haven't been dusted in a week and we're vacuuming things and we're, we're mopping things and we're taking all the clutter and we're shoving it in places where we can close doors. And, and we do this for good reasons because when you come to visit our house, we want you to feel welcome and we want you to feel like uh, you're in a comfortable environment. But if I'm being very honest, there's a big part of the reason is I'm not super comfortable with you knowing the level of filth that I would normally be comfortable with. <laughs> now, this isn't a huge secret that I'm letting out of the, the bag right here. I'm sure some of you uh, have similar things, but I feel like it's a great metaphor for what we're going to talk about this morning because I feel like we do this with our spirituality as well. Like our spiritual house is not, is not perfectly clean, is it? There's some cobwebs in some corners, and there's rooms where we put all our spiritual clutter and closed doors for when he stops by, right? When Jesus comes by, our plan, we'll guide him into the living room, and we'll put a drink in his hand, and as long as he stays on the ground floor, right, then everything's good. Um, but the problem is, that Jesus is not a polite house guest. You, you turn your back for one minute and he's upstairs going through the medicine cabinet, opening closets and asking you like, what's all this stuff? I think that's what Psalm 139 is all about. It, it's about our attempts to kind of try and hide from God. And uh, David, I think, knew what that was like. But I think David also learned what it was like to kind of push past that to stop hiding, to let himself be truly known and to experience the freedom that comes with that. He wrote Psalm 139. He intended for it to be sung. This is a, a worship song. And he, he wanted it to be a reminder to himself and to others that being known is the pathway uh, to acceptance. So let's take a look at the psalm. The, the first 16 verses are all about kind of the attributes of God. And we can't hide from God is, is what these attributes tell us. The, these are the things that kind of set God apart from us. The big, the big three attributes of God are His omniscience, His omnipresence, and His omnipotence. And, and those are just big words that mean 
he knows everything and he is everywhere and he's all powerful. But looking at that and knowing that we're so far away from that, we might think that, well, this, this, is, this puts God at a distance from us. But I love what David does here in Psalm 139 is, is he takes each of these attributes and, and he, he shows them to us in a way where it's like, this is all about us. This is how God, God's very character is still all about his love for us. The first one is omniscience. And and what David is saying here is that God knows all about me. In verse 5, uh, he says, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. So recently, my daughter's cat uh, developed a limp. And uh, he, he came home. He was in obvious pain. He was meow, meow, meow. He was in pain, so I wanted to examine his leg. And he didn't want me to. So what I did was I grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and I held him down the way his mother would. And then he reluctantly let me poke around at him. And that's the image here that David is giving us is like we've been penned in and then God has picked us up and he is examining us from every angle and he's seeing everything. But it's not just what he can see. Uh, the rest of the verses tell us that he knows our thoughts, he knows our tendency, he knows our future. David tells us that we're not even capable of understanding what he knows about us. And that's our big idea this morning, is that God knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. And then there's his, his omnipresence, which is where David says, God is always with me. Verse 7 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Now David was a brave guy. We know this because he fought Goliath, right? But we also know that he knew about hiding and running away. Because when, when Saul was pursuing him, he went and he hid. And then later in his life, his own son was pursuing him and trying to kill him. And he went and he hid again. And in those cases, running and hiding maybe was the wise thing to do. But, but I think in this poem, David is trying to say, look, you know, my, even though my tendency is to run and hide... I, it, it's futile for me to try and do that with you because you're always with me. How can you run from somebody who's always right next to you? We're not fast enough to get away. We can't find a place dark enough where he can't see us. And really, if you look at verse 10, it, it tells us that uh, you know, God isn't like following us around. He's not a stalker. Like he, he He's in control. He's determined where we're going to go. And, and He has sometimes restrained us from going places that we, we would have otherwise gone. And He knows where we're headed next. Because you see, God knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. 
And finally, there's God's omnipotence. uh, David said it this way, God is the powerful creator of me. And and in this sense, it's like God created my body. He, He knows its inner workings. He can heal it. He knows all the things about it that even doctors don't understand. But, but it also means more than this. It means that, that God created us with a purpose. That He created a plan for us within His, His greater plan. And it says that he, he knows all of our days from the beginning until eternity. And He knew these before He ever created our bodies. In verse 15, it says that we've been intricately woven the, the complexity of the creative act that God did with us is, is beyond our comprehension. And it's really beyond our ability to manipulate or control, even though we really try. And here's something. God does this in a way where He does not negate our free will or the, the weight of our choices and yet that is this huge mystery that we can't understand. But God can. Because we think we know ourselves, but uh, God knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. And frankly, God's a little bit preoccupied with us. And we, and we see this in verses 17 and 18. Um, there is, there's, it's kind of laughable that we would try to hide from God, isn't it? Like, I remember when my daughter Holly was really little, she would want to play hide-and-seek with me. And she was funny. She would always be like, Daddy, 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 I'm going to go hide behind the sofa, and then you come find me. And, and that was hide-and-seek to her, because for her, it was so fun to be found, right? She didn't get it that it was all about uh, the hiding, she just liked it when daddy found her. And so I think that she was much wiser than me back then. Because, you know, I'm an adult. And I still want to play hide and seek with the God of the universe. There's things about me that I know are not pleasing to God. And I do a pretty good job of concealing those things from you and from other people I know. And so then I start to think, oh, hey, I can conceal these from God as well. But the reality is that the best I can do is not think about them. The best I can do is kind of push them off and say, okay, if I don't think about that, then I won't be aware that God is thinking about that. And I think that that is kind of a preschool level of, uh, of reasoning. In verses 17 and 18, David is reminding himself and and he's reminding us that God is just absolutely preoccupied with him. He is thinking about him constantly. He says his thoughts about him are more numerous than there are grains of sand. And David, he tries to count these thoughts. He tries to number them. And, And he falls asleep exhausted. And then when he wakes up again in the morning, he finds that God is still thinking about him. He's still having thoughts. There's never a moment where God is not thinking about you. 
There's never a moment where God is not considering you. So I don't know what secrets you might have that are making you sick. I don't know what it is that you really hope that God doesn't see, but He's already seen it. And He's already thinking about it. And I don't know if that's unsettling to you. It's a little bit unsettling to me. I think it was unsettling to David. Look, look what he writes next. Um, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Now at first, maybe, maybe it sounds like David is saying like, hey God, we're on the same side. Like we hate all the same people. You know, your enemies are my enemies. I would never be one of those wicked people, God. I would never use your name in vain. I would never rise up against you. I don't think that that is what David is saying at all. And you know how I know that? Because David was an adulterous, lying, thieving murderer. And he knew that God knew this. In fact, he once had a very good friend of his murdered so that he could marry that guy's wife. And then he tried to go on with life as if nothing had happened. He tried to say, oh, it's just life as usual. I'm just going to go on, keep being king. Everything's great. Until God finally had enough of it and he sent a prophet to David who said, God is not fooled. David didn't write these words with the confidence of someone who had never sinned. David did not write these words saying, come on God, search me and know me because I know you're not going to find anything bad. No, he knew that when God searched him, he was going to find evidence, right? He was going to find evidence that he's an enemy of God. So why did he write those words? Well, I think he was kind of reminding God about the struggle. That he's like, hey God, I know, I know I don't meet your mark, but I hate this. I hate this in me. I wish you would slay it. I wish you would take it away. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans 7. I'm going to read this. It's a, it's a little bit long, but I want to read it. For... I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? I think that this is the secret that we've all been hiding. Like David and Paul, we struggle with the sin nature. We struggle with our flesh. See, we can hate our sin with a perfect hatred and then go right on out and sin again. But we put on masks to show people that we don't struggle. And we see the masks that other people put on to show us that they don't struggle. And then we actually fool ourselves. We try to keep our struggle a secret. And then we act like God isn't aware of it either. In a way, we're kind of leading a double life. There's, there's the, the, the person that everyone gets to see, the good person, the acceptable person, the nice person. And then we have our secret life, this other person who is, who's kind of mean and nasty and, and would never be acceptable to God and would never be acceptable to His people. And we work hard to be sure that no one finds out that we aren't what we seem, that we're frauds. No one can ever know. And we keep telling ourselves, you know, tomorrow I'll stop doing that thing that I just keep on doing. And, you know, I'll read the Word more. And I'll be nice to people. And I'll join that discipleship group. And then God will be happy. And then I'll be happy. But the problem is that so often we just don't. And then that failure becomes just another secret that we can't let anyone know about. We think that we're protecting ourselves and others, but really we're burning ourselves out because this is exhausting, keeping all these masks going. We think that we know ourselves, but God knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. And there's a better way. In the last two verses, I think, I think David penned this psalm at a time when he was just kind of tired of wearing the masks. He was tired of trying to hide from God. He was tired of struggling with the flesh all the time, and he thought, there's got to be a better way. Like the Apostle Paul, he's like, wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is obvious. Who knows us through and through? Who knows what we're going to say before we even think it? Who created us? Who knows the plans that He has for us? Who knows us better than we could ever know ourselves? Thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, David began this poem with an acknowledgement that God had already searched him and already knew him. And then he kind of wraps it up with the same wording, except now it's like an act of submission. Now he's like, God, search me. Know me. I am so okay with this now. I want you to. I want you to know me. I'm ready for you to be aware of everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm ready to lay it all down. I'm ready for you to lead me in the way everlasting. Which is His plan for us. The, the way everlasting is just so much better than trying to hide. It, the way everlasting is, is God's plan for our reconciliation. The, the plan that God has to re reconcile all things to Himself. It, in one sense, it's simply Romans 8, or Romans 5, verse 8. That God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So even though in our flesh we're the enemies of God, like David said, we've been reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. It means that we can have confidence on the day of judgment, that we don't have to be afraid that what he finds when he searches us is going to lead to punishment. And that's great. But the way of everlasting is so much more than just eternal salvation. There's more to it. It's a way of living as a part of God's family, which is his church. Let's take a look at Colossians 3, starting in verse 9. It says, do not lie to one another. This means don't put on masks. Don't have secrets. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. And, it, and then if we jump to James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, the, the way everlasting involves not only acknowledging that God knows us better than we could ever know ourselves, but it also means that we take off our masks and we be real with one another. We let others see that we struggle. And, and when we see them struggle, we show them compassion and patience and forgiveness. I used to believe that if anyone knew the real me, 
they could never accept me. But one day, through a mentor, I, I sat down and I made a list. And I took a sheet of paper and I drew a line right down the middle. And on, on one side, I wrote down every good thing I had ever done. And on the other side, I wrote down every bad thing that I had ever done. And, and I tried to be thorough and honest. I went back to my earliest childhood memory and I worked my way forward from there. God brought to my recollection things that I hadn't thought about in years, things that I had forgotten about, things that I had chosen to forget about, things that I didn't want to face because they caused me pain or made me feel shame. But it was exhausting, but I stuck with it. And I admit when I was done, the bad column was quite a bit longer than the good column. And as I looked at this paper, I realized that here was the evidence in front of me. There was no way I could look at this and say, I'm good enough to get into heaven. It was my worst fear realized. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good person. In fact, I'm worse than I ever thought I could be. And there was a part of me who just wanted to tear up this list and say, I'm sorry I ever did this. I, I don't like this process. I don't like what I see. I don't want to go there. I want to put it away and forget about it again. But instead, I decided to share it with my mentor. And, and so I met with him, and over the course of, a, of two or three hours, I walked him through this list item by item, and in detail shared with him every secret I had ever had. I laid it all out there for him to see, and, and I'll never forget that moment because I was so exposed, and I felt so vulnerable. And, and, I, and I was done, and I, and I sat there, and I looked at him, and I waited. I waited for him to reject me. But he looked me in the eye and he said, Brandon, is that all? Is that all you've got? Because I thought maybe your list was going to be worse than mine. And just like that, God lifted this burden of shame off of my shoulders, this burden of worthlessness that I had carried around with me. This idea of this backlog of unforgiven sin uh, was gone. And as James said, you know, as I, as I came out of hiding, as I came into the light, as I confessed this to one another, as, as James promised, the, the Spirit began to do a work in my life where He began to heal me of things that I hadn't wanted to face because they were painful and difficult. Since that time, I've learned that it's necessary for me to have a few trusted people in my life who know me very well. These are the guys that I call when I want to hide from God. When I say, oh, I, I, 
I'm realizing something about myself. I don't like it. I don't want to go to God in prayer. I want to pretend it doesn't exist. And they're the guys who remind me that God knows me better than I could ever know myself and that He accepts me and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They tell me they accept, that He accepts me because I put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. So are you ready to come out of hiding? You know, God already sees you behind the sofa. Are you ready to be led in the way everlasting? It's not an easy way. I won't lie to you about that. But I tell you, it's a lot less exhausting than trying to hide from Almighty God. Maybe a, a good first step for you would be to find somebody in your missional community or in your discipleship group that you trust. And, and you could maybe just go have coffee with them. Maybe read this psalm together and say, hey, you know, what, what do you think about this? You know, I, think, I feel like I'm trying to hide some things. Or maybe if there isn't anybody that, that you trust that well, maybe a, a first step for you is to get into a, a group of some kind and start developing a relationship with someone that you could trust that much. Or maybe, maybe you don't hide anymore. Maybe you've already walked down this road and you've got some, some wisdom to share with others. And if so, I would encourage you, make yourself available to those who haven't yet been there. God is acquainted with all of your ways. He knows you better than you could ever know yourself. And He loves you. So come out of hiding and be known by Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of Your power and Your knowledge and Your presence. And Lord, we, we trust You and we want You to know us. But Lord, sometimes we're afraid of what You're going to find and what that might mean about who we are and what that might mean about Your plan for us. And so Lord, I pray that right now as we consider the secret part of ourselves that You would not only give us courage, but You would give us comfort. Lord, for those who know You, Lord, I pray that You would remind them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that whatever the secret is, that You already know it. That You've already thought about it from every angle. And that they can with confidence come before You without fear of punishment. And Lord, for those who maybe do not yet know You, Lord, I, I pray that You would draw them to Yourselves or You would draw them to Yourself. That You would bring their heart to life. That they would have a yearning to know You better and to let You know them. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.